0: Welcome to Ag Vic Talk, keeping you up to date with information from Agriculture Victoria.
1: What do you do when the land your family has been farming for generations is hit by the longest drought on record? It was something Chris Nixon was forced to confront when his reliable country in East Gippsland recently experienced a prolonged drought, which also included their driest year on record to find out how he dealt with it and the long-term changes it's brought for running the property. He joins me in the Ag Vic Talk studio. Chris, thanks for your time. My pleasure, Drew. I hope we enjoy the talk. <laughs> I I have absolutely no doubt we will, Chris. Now,
0: first of all, describe where do you farm? Uh, I farm on the Snow River Flats in Orbost in Far East Gippsland. So we're about four 400, not quite 400 k's from Melbourne towards uh, Mallacoota.
1: So I could imagine that would be pretty much prime country, really, wouldn't
0: it? Uh, the Snow River Flats is considered the third most fertile river flats in the world, behind the Amazon and the Nile Delta. So it's pretty spectacular, but unfortunately, there's not much of it. So it's very tightly held in the district, but. Uh, We're not far from the coast. We're only four k's from the coast and the mountains are behind us. So, you know, surrounded by national parks, we're in in a beautiful end of the world.
1: Now, you said they're very tightly held. I understand your family's got a long history in that region.
0: Yes, we settled here in the 1880s, so we've been here a very long time. I'm the fifth generation and it looks like I've got the sixth generation coming behind me.
1: And Chris, mainly dairy or is it a combination for you?
0: We run 500 dairy cows, uh, milk 500 dairy cows, but we also have a substantial beef holding which we run on behalf of my family and my wife's family. The beef operation is about four times the size of the the dairy. So
1: in regards to the dairy then, Chris, in, in that part of the world, are you able to grow most of your feed?
0: The only feed we do not grow, except for times of drought, and we've had plenty of those in the last few years, is grain. We import all our grain. Uh, freight costs are horrendous. It's, you know, 50 or 60 bucks from Melbourne, and depending how far it's come to get to Melbourne, it's a lot of money. So, But we grow all our own silage. We grow a lot of maize silage, grass silage, oaten silage, and uh, we are pretty well self-sufficient in silage and hay in most years other than drought years.
1: I want to drill down into that silage stuff in a minute, but you mentioned you grow up except in drought years. You have had pretty much three tough years, haven't you? Some of the worst on record, if not the worst. year.
0: Definitely the longest, one of the longest droughts on record. And the first year was the driest year on record. We only had 400 mil of rain for the entire year. In a normal year, we get 800 mil of rain, so... It was nearly three and a half years before it started raining uh, in March, April last year. So, yeah, very tough period of time.
1: That sounds like a great understatement, Chris. So how do you then go about managing that? If buying feed-in is so expensive and you can't grow what you need, what's your next step?
0: We did things slightly different to most people. We decided to cull cow numbers. So we'd carve their 500 cows down we would then work out what the season looked like how many cows we could run so in that first drought year we only ran 400 cows i did try buying uh selling a few cows and older cows and start a few stale cows and carryovers and stuff and bought a few in but they didn't last under the scenario and they all disappeared out of the herd within two years so that was a bit of a disaster for me but uh, so we carved 500 cows down, we decided we can milk 400 cows and we just sell the other 100 cows. So we culled most of them. It really did clean out the herd for a lot of things. We've dramatically changed how we run our herd since the drought started and uh, we used the opportunity of destocking to get rid of a lot of problem cows.
1: So in some ways that sounds like you've reassessed the way you run the property now as opposed to running it. For maximum, is it more of an optimum setup, or
0: that's a probably a good call. The, the advantage of carving the 500 cows down was that we could get our 200 odd heifers every year. You don't need much feed to grow a heifer on, so we grew out 200 heifers every year. So that's how we maintained our 500 cows. By the time you get a few empties and whatever, we did a few things. Any cow that got mastitis more than twice was sold. Any cow that uh, got lame and she had bad feet she was sold. Any cow that didn't get in calf was sold. Now the last one has been a big game changer for us because you know, we fell into the trap of carrying carryover cows, the old extended lactation theory. They got pregnant, they came into the herd the following season two years down the track and we were slightly building infertility into the herd. So what this drought has done, we have actually reduced our joining of the dairy cows now to eight weeks, which is very short. And our six week in calf rate is 65%. That only leaves another two weeks for the bulls to work. And we have been getting some quite high empty rates at 24%. Now it sounds like a disaster, but um, when you've got 200 heifers coming in, it all works out quite nicely. So we're putting maximum pressure on fertility and making sure that we've only got highly fertile cows in the herd.
1: And at that level of 400, even with the dry years, you are pretty much self-sustainable with your own feed supplies? Uh,
0: Yes, we do have uh, an 80-acre fodder block about 10 ks away from the dairy. Under irrigation, we grow maize silage and oat and silage.
1: You mentioned irrigation there, Chris, but I was reading you had to put boars in so that you actually had stock water. Is that a first for you during that period?
0: No, the boars have already been here, but they collapsed under the long dry period and we, you know, they were old and we had to upgrade it. The dairy itself doesn't have access to river water, so we can't pump water out of the river on a regular basis. We can't irrigate from the river on the dairy, so that's why it was important for us to get a block where we could get access to irrigation water and grow some feed.
1: Chris, you're talking there about silage and how important fodder obviously is. But I'd imagine it became even more of a precious commodity during that dry time. I understand you put in a feed pad to try and deal with that and get maximum results. How did that work?
0: A fellow dairy farmer in Orbos had built a uh, feed pad out of uh, what we call GeoHex, which is a polycarbonate type product. Comes in about half metre long sheet and his was going for about seven years so we followed that plan. We built a uh, feed pad that can carry 500 cows with concrete troughs and this geo hex down on the ground and using really fine gravel or in our case crushed rock to um, fill it all up. It's into its third season now. It's been a wonderful Addition to the farm because during those dry years we had to make sure we was using every skerrick of silage and that we were feeding out, and we just didn't quite appreciate the losses that we were getting just traditionally feeding it out in the paddock. So uh, we saved a lot of feed, and we estimated that we probably nearly paid for it in the first 12 months in the amount of silage we saved feeding out. Yeah,
1: I was reading there was about a third. You reckon you've saved? That's a dramatic amount of feed.
0: Probably not quite such a high amount when it's really, really dry, but in, in the wet years, when it's wet, like at the moment it's really wet, they're not walking that silage into the ground and pugging it all up. So the savings is enormous, yes.
1: And there's a great video too. I, I've actually seen that online. It's, it's only about a minute long of the construction of that. It looks really simple, but incredibly effective.
0: Where we built the feed pad, which is just south of the dairy, the country there, it's on peat country and it's moved. So because of the hex, it's not concrete. It hasn't cracked or broken up. but It's held up to it really, really well. So, yeah, it's been a wonderful addition. And we had 174 mils of rain last week and the farm's probably two-thirds underwater. So at the moment, it's the only thing that the cows are really getting. So it's fantastic.
1: It sounds like you've been through... Really, both sides of the swing of the pendulum over the last few years. You talked in detail there about how you're managing your herd now. Have you got any other strategies in place for dealing with those extreme variations in climate, particularly drier years in the years ahead?
0: Well, it's just being able to make a decision and run with it. You know, if one of the biggest advantages we had in the drought was that we decided to destock relatively early, it was it was only mid autumn, April, and we just said we can't go on like this and we and we made the decision to start selling cattle and we sold a lot of cattle that year. You know, the beef herd we sold nearly fifty percent of the beef herd at that point in time. And we sold up, you know, a good twenty-five percent of the dairy cows at that point in time. Now we could have got a late autumn break and we could have done lots of things, but we decided to sell. The long term forecast wasn't looking that flash. So we sold, and, and that took so much pressure off what fodder reserves we had, we could extend through until the um, harvest off the fodder block later that year. So it, it really did save us a lot of things, and, and that was the flexibility of it. So I've learnt that if we farm to what available fodder supplies we have, we don't have to buy too much in, other than grain, we can still turn a profit. Just watching our costs, being careful, you can still turn a profit, and we have learnt that through these three and a half years of drought.
1: So, Chris, almost from, well, not quite bust to boom in regards to the rain, I understand you've now got more grass almost than you know what to do with.
0: Well, we did have until this week where we had 174 mils of rain just in the last few days. So it's, it's, it's all semi-flooded. But um, the last 12 months was a boom and it's reflected that in the uh, our production has gone through the roof. We're probably up nearly 30% for the year year on year so it 's wonderful, and the tight carving pattern and all those things that that were instigated during the drought are really starting to pay dividends i 'll go back to the fertility one our first our heifers that carved this year were the first line of heifers that came through this tight joining period, and while the herd had twenty four percent empty, our first calf heifers only had seventeen percent empty on an eight week joining period, so Yeah, we're starting to see some real gains in fertility now you know with four coming up to five years into this tight carving pattern it just makes all those other things you know we don't have to hang on to those cows with bad feet we don't have to hang on to those cows with bad udders we can get rid of them because we've got the numbers flying through the system and it just makes life so easy.
1: Chris Nixon, thanks so much for your time and so very pleased that you've had a welcome reprieve from those three exceptionally dry years. If you want to find out more about how Chris has dealt with the varying climate over those years and also running his farm now, subscribe to Milking the Weather. For now though, Chris Nixon, thank you for joining me in the AgVic Talk studio. Uh,
0: my pleasure, Drew. Anytime. Thank you for listening to Ag Vic Talk. For more episodes in this series, find us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We would love to hear your feedback, so please leave a comment or rating and share this series with your friends and family. All information is accurate at the time of release. Contact Agriculture Victoria or your consultant before making any changes on farm. This podcast was developed by Agriculture Victoria, authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne.